You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Shifting gears a little bit as we uh, look at John chapter 8, you've probably heard this saying, it's a little cliche-ish and really should not be an excuse, but there really is truth in it. That, But you've heard it said, you know, Christians are not perfect, they're forgiven, right? How many of you have heard that saying? Maybe you've said it, and I think there was a time I'd see it on bumper stickers and that kind of thing. I haven't seen that in a while, but uh, very true. Like, we should never make an excuse for our sins. Our We should never presume upon God's grace, should never, you know, make an excuse, well, well I'm a sinner, just deal with it. Like, there's never a reason in our life to do that. But the reality is, is we are not perfect and we will never be perfect as long as we walk in this earth and we are forgiven. So this, as, as we're followers of Jesus Christ and we've surrendered our life to Him and have faith and, and put our hope and our salvation in Him and Him alone, the Bible says we're forgiven as we've sung about that this morning. And all those sins are, are past and done with and it's over with in, in God's eyes and in God's mind. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about what it is like dealing with sinners and accusers, dealing with other sinners in our life and how we should handle them and how we don't handle that well, because we're all sinners together, but how we also handle the accusers uh, in our life as well and those that are pointing out our sin, if you will. And it's not easy because the reality is, is that we go through life and there's that inner struggle. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. You know, he's like, oh my goodness. He's like, he says, the things I don't want to do, I really don't want to do them. And I, ah, I end up doing them. And the things that I do want to do, I end up not doing them. And he says, I, I look inside myself trying to figure this out. I'm, I know I'm forgiven. I'm a follower of, of Jesus and I'm saved and I'm redeemed and I want my life fully in alignment, devoted to God. And inside me, I see there's a war that I want to do what's right and I want to honor God, but oh, there's still that part of me that's still that that sin nature. Who is going to deliver me? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage, from this, this war? And he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. We are forgiven in the middle of those realities of knowing that we're still sinners and we kind of walk through life with that struggle and that reality. And we have those moments where we just, we struggle hard trying to honor God and and live before Him. But then we need to step back and we need to see our sin and the reflection or the reality of the cross, that in Jesus Christ, we're forgiven and we're whole and we move forward. And what I want to talk today is just recognizing that we're all in that boat, but not so much how do we deal with our own sin. We'll talk a little bit about that, but how do we then live life with a bunch of other forgiven sinners and a bunch of other sinners? And then people, when we're messing up and struggling, that are pointing that out, to us. How do we deal with that? So look with me, if you would, in John chapter 8. We're going to read and starting in in verse 1. The Bible says this. Actually, we're going to start reading in verse 2. Early in the morning, he, talking about Jesus, uh, came again to the temple. So it's early first thing in the morning. Most people were probably carrying their Starbucks cup of coffee, whatever, you know, but it was 
It was early. This was not 10 o'clock. This was not banker's hours. Forgive the bankers in the room. All right. This was early. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, those are the bad guys, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Get the picture. Jesus is there teaching this whole crowd of people. These guys bring this woman who's in custody, basically a civil arrest. The Pharisees and religious leaders had the ability to, to prosecute people for religious spiritual crimes. So they arrested her, brought her in, in custody, and put her, you know, paraded her in front of this whole crowd and said, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. She was with a Another man sleeping with a guy that she should not be. We caught her. And they go on and say this in verse 5. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this in verse 6 to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. You know, their goal wasn't to truly help the woman. Their goal wasn't to do what was right. Their goal was to just entrap Jesus. Their thinking is this, hey, if he says stone the woman according to the law, awesome, because the crowd's not going to like him, because that wasn't a common thing. Their crowds are going to turn against him to see him to be the vicious, vindictive, awful person that he is. And if he says, don't stone her, then we've got him because he's disobeying what the Bible says and what the law says, and we prove that he's not a good man. They thought they had worked up the perfect entrapment. Let's see what happens next. In verse 7, the Bible says this. And, they, uh, and Jesus bent down in verse 6 and wrote with his finger on the ground. I often wondered, what was he writing? Was he writing other sins, lust, <laughs> Greed, who knows? I don't know. But in verse 7 it says, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. An incredible story of, of our Lord and how He relates to sinners. Some tremendous truths in our lives. I want to share with you just three things this morning. I want to share with you how we tend to treat sinners, the sinners in our life. They live in your home. They're in your workplace. They're in your contact list. They text you. They email you. They call you. When you're not looking to be around them, those, those pernicious, pernicious, those sinners just tenacious kind of hang out and are in your life and in your face. So how do we deal with them? How do we tend to deal with them, which we'll see is not good because we're no different than them? How did Jesus deal with them? Really is the way we should deal with them. 
And what are just some tremendous lessons of life? There are so many lessons of life here, and I really want to focus on this. This is like a a case study of how we live in, in in a messy, sinful world in which we live. So get the picture. These Pharisees catch this woman. I don't know if they had a private investigator, if they had... You know, security cameras out, but somehow they literally caught the woman, presumably in the night, because <laughs> it was early in the morning, and they haul her out, haul her out of the house, haul her out of the bedroom, and they're like, and they parade her in front of this crowd and in front of Jesus. Picture a woman who's probably, she didn't have time to shower, get cleaned up. She's just, can you imagine just having your sins paraded in front of the whole world? I mean, oh my goodness. The shame and guilt and just all of the mess that just was inside of her. And they're throwing her in front of Jesus, not caring one bit about her. She was just a a pawn, totally abusing her in every way. But just so that they could entrap her and entrap Jesus, they were using her for for their own purposes. First thing I want you to notice is is that... um, that you and I have a tendency when we're dealing with the sinners in our life to focus on their actions and not our own. We tend to focus on what the other people have done, what the other person's doing, completely ignoring ourselves. I, I, would, I would like to think that somewhere along the way, somebody was like, this is not a very good idea. Can't we just like catch Jesus somewhere else? But they wanted a spectacle. They wanted the show. And they were not interested at all in justice. They were not at all interested in mercy for sure. And they were not at all thinking about her. They were thinking about themselves. When you and I struggle with sinners, we have a tendency to magnify their sin and minimize our own. We have a tendency to focus on their actions, focus on their motivations, focus on, on what's on inside of them. And we spend our time analyzing and thinking about all of that and neglecting to think about ourselves. We miss it. Part of it is kind of natural. You know, we're always looking through our eyes at the world around us. You know, as I'm sitting here for however many minutes that I'm up here in front of you, about all that I'm going to see of myself is just incidentally my hands waving around. I'm not looking at my feet. I can't certainly roll my eyes back of my head and examine, and I'm not looking at myself. I spend most of my life looking at you guys. All of us spend most of our life looking at other people. Think about how even if you linger in the mirror in the morning, and even if you're really, I really don't. I I'm probably a glance and I'm gone. And some of you are like, well, that explains a lot, Sean. Now we understand. But, you know, my philosophy is like, you can only do so much with what you got to work with. So I don't want to just, you know, lose a lot of sleep over it. Like, you know, so I move on. But even if you spend a lot of time looking in the mirror, you spend most of your life looking at everybody else. And that's really a picture of how we go through life. So we're going to naturally see and pick up things in other people's lives far more than ourselves. And there's a tendency for us to just completely miss where we are, just to blow by that. And it's wrong, and we know it, and we can talk about it kind of in the abstract now, but when we're in the heat of those things, 
That's hard to do because like we're focusing on all the stuff. And I mean, we've got like HD cameras looking, you know, at people's lives and the problems they're causing. And we're minimizing and we're not stepping back to really ask God, God, where am I in all of this? What, what do I need to be doing? What, what have I done? And we're busy dealing with the other side of it. In the process, we only address those sins when it benefits us. You see, these Pharisees, they didn't care. They couldn't care less about where she was. They only pointed her out so that they could out her for their own perceived need. They wanted to be shown as right. They wanted to be shown that Jesus was a bad guy and shouldn't be listening to him and why has he got all the influence and we don't have it. And they were focusing on themselves. They really weren't focusing and trying to help her. We'll get to a bunch of applications, but I can't miss these along the way. Folks, be careful when you're pointing out the sins of other people and you're doing it because it makes your life better, easier. It's for you and it's not for them. Our default setting, you know, whenever you buy a new appliance, whenever you get a new computer program, it has default settings and you can alter them, change them. As sinners, our default setting is to just make it about us. And what Jesus does is when we surrender our life to Him and receive Him as Lord and Savior of our soul, what we're doing is we're laying ourselves down and we're asking Him to change the default setting to where we serve Him. And as a result of knowing and serving Him, we're serving the other people around us. And we still have to make those choices in life and work through that. But, but our setting is, is to deal with those things in as much as they're causing us problems, bothering us, doesn't fit what we want, and we point that stuff out without really having our motivation underneath to help the other person. That's the way we deal with sin. And at the end of the day, we not only focus on them and we focus on it for our good, not their good, but we ultimately, it's about condemnation and judgment toward them. And we give ourselves a pass completely, completely. And Jesus just so, I would have, I would, if that had happened to me, I'm like, I don't know, I quit. I don't even know how to answer this question. I would just like walk away like, you got me, I don't know. And because Jesus is the Son of God and had the wisdom and discernment in the world, knew that they didn't care about her, knew that they were sinners, knew that they were pointing out her world for condemnation and judgment and completely giving themselves a pass. That's what we do. That's what we do in our sin. That's who we are in, in life. By the way, that's why the world and relationships, whether it's husband and wife and moms and dads with their kids and co-workers, that's the core of why all of those things struggle and fall apart. At the end of the day, it's not because just the you know incompatibilities or those things. It's you start pulling it back. There's sin and selfishness and all of that in the middle of it. And when you put two broken, messed up people together, that's the result. That's the what we deal with sin. How does Jesus deal with sin? Well, let me want you to notice a couple of things. He doesn't ignore it or dismiss it. You notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, oh, that's okay. Let's just give her a pass, guys. He didn't minimize it. 
fact at all, he says, uh, lady, yeah, okay, if they caught you in the act, yeah, you're guilty. He didn't say the law was bad. He didn't say you don't deserve this. He knew she did, according to law. It's a little, it's a little hardcore, I must confess. I'm glad I live in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. I don't want to... I don't want to go to church one day and pass out rocks, have the ushers, you know. <laughs> hey, we've caught some folks doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. Oh, my goodness, you know. To be honest with you, it was not normal for them to do it either. That's why this is just so absurd. Um, and, uh, and so Jesus doesn't minimize sin in our life, folks. He doesn't make light of it. We, on Thursday nights, as we've been walking through the Gospels, Matthew through John, we, we this week we... We talked in depth about Jesus last week and his crucifixion. And uh, that's, I don't know if we tend to sanitize and sterilize, you know, that event. And I don't know if our psyche can handle the rawness and the awfulness and the atrocities that Jesus went through, to be real honest with you. We, we need to always keep the crucifixion in light of the resurrection and the victory and all of that. But folks, our Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross... I mean, crucifixion was the most brutal form of death designed by Romans that, that could be imagined. People, when they were impaled to the cross, impaled, they, they, they weren't nailed through the hands. The spikes went through the, just below the wrist between the, the two bones in your arm, the radius and ulna. You know, the, the, most of the pictures, romanticized pictures of Jesus with the spikes here, if you put all that weight, your hands would just pull out. It can't support that weight. The, the, the Greek word for hand includes the wrist and all that. So they impaled their, their victims you know, that way. And then the, um, in the 60s, a couple of uh, skeletons were found in the position that had been crucified. And what they discovered was as they were stretched out like this, their bodies were twisted 90 degrees, and there was a spike through their feet, not through the front like this, like we see the common picture, but their feet were sideways, and the nail went through their heels this way. And, you know, if you've not thought about it, people, when they were crucified, didn't die because of blood loss. Uh, in fact, they didn't want a quick death. Rome wanted to line the roads. They were billboards to, to intimidate and threaten to don't cross Rome and don't do anything bad. And so the victims would hang on the cross for days, and, and they would be crucified absolutely naked, and the crosses, they would put a peg between their legs so that they could rest. And can you imagine the pain going from your feet? You've just been impaled. And the reason that why is, is because to breathe, you would have to stand up. But to give yourself a rest, you would slouch. And, you know, you're spending hours like this. And so you would stand up to catch your breath and try to try to do that. And over time, your breathing would get shallower and shallower. And then finally, when the, the Romans had had enough... For you to die, they wouldn't pierce you just to get it over with. They would literally break your femur, break your leg, so you could no longer stand, and you would slowly suffocate. Um, just excruciating death. In fact, the, the skeletons that they found, the, 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 they were bent this way, and the right leg was completely shattered, and the left one was just cracked. Um, when we think about that, God doesn't minimize sin, folks. That's a picture of the wrath and judgment of God on our sin. If our sin was a small thing, Jesus wouldn't have had to have died that kind of death. 
So Jesus doesn't minimize sin. He never lets it go. In fact, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, we haven't taken time to read it, but this law was out there a couple of times, and Jesus says, yeah, when a man and woman are in adultery and, a guy, and committing adultery um, with a married woman, they're both supposed to die, and the Bible says, so that Israel could be cleansed of the evil. It describes this as not just a, you know, oh, uh, a betrayal of relationship, of love, of commitment, or any of that. It's an evil to God. And Jesus doesn't minimize our sin whatsoever. He doesn't dismiss it, doesn't ignore it. He deals with it forthrightly, but He deals with it respectfully. So Jesus never minimized what she did. But looking at what Jesus did compared to the Pharisees, he dealt with her as a sinner, knowing she was guilty, knowing that, that he would go to the cross for her sin. But he dealt respectfully to her. And he dealt with her in such a way to, to give her a, a, an avenue of forgiveness and of, of freedom, just so respectfully to her by saying, hey, okay, any of you that you know, are without sin, you start throwing the rocks. Jesus was looking to give her freedom back, to give her honor back, to give her forgiveness. When God comes to you, He is trying to... You, you're already condemned and you're already in your sin and a mess. And what Jesus is trying to do is to give you a pathway of forgiveness, of freedom, to remove that shame to remove that guilt in our heart. You see, our sin, every time we sin, everything we do, it's always shameful. Our shame may not be out there, but it's always in here. Our guilt may not be known out there, but it's always there. And what God wants to do is to remove that from us. And so Jesus then, as is, is He teed up that whole, you know, how to address it, He gets to the point knowing that there was nobody there that was perfect knowing that, that they were guilty. And he looks up and he says, where are your accusers? And they've all one by one slinked away and fallen away because of their own shame and guilt that they were convicted of. And he asks her, he says, where are they? I'm sure as Jesus bent down, I mean, he's the son of God who know what all he knew, but he at the very least you know, could tell people were mingling on and there were no, no shrieks coming from the lady, no stones were being thrown. And he's like, where are they? Where are your accusers? And she says, you know, no one condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Look at that last phrase, that last sentence in verse 11 Jesus is talking about. He says, neither do I condemn you. What Jesus is giving her there is mercy. He's giving her what she doesn't deserve. See, that's why he died on the cross. We just sing about this morning, his mercy is more. No matter how big our sins are, Jesus wants to give us even more mercy. Our, we deserve that stoning, all of us, for our sins. We deserve eternity in hell. We deserve punishment. We deserve every ounce of that. But Jesus wants to give us mercy. And then he gives her something beyond mercy. He says, go. He doesn't condemn her. Instead, he says, go. Go your way. Go live your life. Go with my blessing. He's giving her grace. 
He's saying, not only are you not going to get the condemnation that you deserve, but I'm giving you a new start, a new beginning. I'm giving you grace in your life to go and live your life. You see, Jesus wants us to experience His mercy. We are all guilty, but He wants us to experience that mercy, wants us to experience that grace. And then He does one more thing and He says, and from now on, sin no more. He wants to not just give us mercy and grace, but He wants to lead us into holiness and a life that honors Him. See, God, when when we surrender our life to Jesus and we put our trust in Him, He forgives us of our sin. But then He turns around to us and says, now cut it out. Start living for me. That's not the way you should live anymore. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you're forgiven. Go do what you want. In fact, when your life has really been changed, He puts a hunger and a desire in your heart to honor Him. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with each one of our lives is to give us that mercy, show us His grace to go out and live our life and there's blessing to be on us and to in turn to, to lead us into holiness, to lead us even closer to Him, to lead us even more walking in His Spirit in a life that honors Him. That's the way you and I should be dealing with sinners, not the other way. That should be the new default setting on the washing machine or the computer program. Now let me give you some practical lessons of what that means for us. Let me, let me unpack that. Number one, we're all like this woman. We are guilty and accused, every single one of us. We're guilty. We shouldn't, even as forgiven sinners, we should never think that we're beyond that. Like our entire life, God more and more points out our sin, not to, not to rub it in on us, not to you know, somehow mess with us, but what He's trying to do is just more and more lead us into that holiness, more and more uh, living a life that reflects His Son Jesus. And so we... We should expect and recognize that we all stand guilty and accused. That should create a humility in our life. That should cause a, a desire of moving forward in our life. But it should lead us to a place where we're addressing sin in our life forthrightly. Jesus said, lady, I know you're guilty. I'm not going to bring witnesses. The witnesses are already here. But go and cut it out forthrightly. Deal with it. In essence, he's saying, cut the head off the snake and you break that relationship with that man and you're done. By the way, I didn't unpack a lot of that. Where was the guy? The law was for both the woman and the man. There was something going on there that was completely shady. There should have been two people in the room. Maybe even more the abusiveness and all of that toward the woman. I don't want to blow by that. She was just a pawn, and they didn't care about her. They cared more about the guy and gave him a pass. Who knows why and all of that. But Jesus said, lady, I forgive you. Go your way, but cut it out. You break that relationship off. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear anything. Don't, don't you know, put it away in a safe box with a key and say, I got it all under control. We play all kinds of games when our sins get pointed out, like I can handle in that. Jesus is like, no, cut it off. When I was a kid growing up, we lived uh, in the South. And uh, I remember uh, one time period, we, we lived in like a little three-bedroom ranch, single story, okay? 
And uh, our ceiling wasn't sheetrock. It was like those little square acoustical tiles, you know, kind of that, that, that ceiling type. And we could sit there and watch t TV, and we would hear this shh in the attic. And kind of realized, we discovered, like, we had a snake in the attic. Now, they, they grow snakes big there. We're not talking snake. In fact, I remember one in our windowsill that laid in the windowsill, and it went one way, went the next way, and lapped. You know, the next way, some of you ladies are like, I am never living in that world. And I remember, like, what do you do when you've got this big snake? I mean, it's not going to end up well. It's either going to die and stink to high heaven, and you're going to be doing, you know, a, a, a body recovery, or you're just like, okay, get rid of the snake. I remember my sister was like, Dad, take your shotgun, you know? I think she I just assumed she's just kind of like, aim and start blasting holes. I think she was second grade. I was probably sixth or seventh. And, uh, and so my dad's like, we got to go in after it. And this is like, you know, just trap door. This is not attic stairs. This is, you know, you go up, you can't stand up, and you're crawling in between rafters, and you're having to step between rafter and rafter, and there's totally dark, and there's insulation, and you got a snake. And by the way, they're poisonous, and they bite. You know, we don't know, like, what kind of snake's there, and there's insulation, so we go on this grid search finding this thing and we finally found it and kind of lift the insulation up and it's just kind of like oh my goodness that's a big one you know and and uh, I think my dad I think he had my BB gun you know I guess we just kind of like put it to the head and then shoot it and I remember he took the shot and missed <laughs> and, and I'm holding the drop light you know this is before nice LED headlamps you know and it's a comedy of errors and he passes me the gun to pump it because he could keep an eye on the snake and at that point we don't know like is it a rattlesnake in fact it looked kind of like one of those things and as I'm pumping the gun up the light bulb you know and those drop lights was cheap and the light bulb goes out so I mean it's just like and here we are in the dark can't see where to step and we're like ah you know so we went, we regrouped. I think it took us three forays into the attic to finally get this thing. And the strategy ended up being his hunting knife hose clamp to a long pole. And I'm lifting the, the insulation up, you know, in space you can't move around. And you can't press down on the ceiling because it's going to go through. And he managed to somehow pin the head to the rafter and he just hardcore just kind of cut the head off the snake. I mean, it's just like, what do you do? You know, it's just, like it. I, I like animals and wildlife, but they need to be outside. Like, this is my territory, you know? You live in your world, I live in mine, and we get along well. I said all of that story to say this. What Jesus just told the woman was the same thing. Whatever it takes, cut the head off the snake, lady. Don't do it anymore. It's going to be messy, it's going to be scary, it's going to be challenging, it's going to be whatever. Cut it off. I loved you, I'm giving you mercy, I'm giving you grace. Live differently. Live a changed life. And that's what God calls us to. He gives us mercy, He gives us grace, and He deals with us respectfully, but He deals with us firmly. Cut the head off the snake. Deal with those things in your life. Get whatever accountability that you need. Get that stuff out. Address it. Don't sit in secret in isolation and think you got it because you don't got it, but deal with it. Deal with it. There's so many of these lessons I want to give to you, and I don't have time to give them all, so let me kind of give you a couple more. Notice what the woman did. She came to Jesus. Now, this is subtle, but I want you to miss, don't want you to miss this. In verse 11, she's standing before the high judge of heaven, and he asks her, where are your accusers? Has anyone accused you? And she says, no. 
my Lord. I don't want to make more of that Lord than we need to. She's not calling Jesus her Lord and Savior. Lord was a common respect term of sir. But she doesn't run away. She stands there. She doesn't take off. And she submits herself to Jesus. She gives him the respect and all that is due. She doesn't make excuses. Lord, I didn't mean to. I, one time, oh my goodness, is my first time. Oh my goodness, all of that. She just receives what he says. When you and I and the God of heaven convicts our soul of sin, that recognition should draw us to Jesus. And our job at that point is to say, yes, Lord. Whatever you are speaking into my soul, whatever as I peer into your word that you tell me, God, I'm submissive. I'm not hiding. I'm not making all of those excuses. You and I have spent our entire lives making excuses for our sins, justifying ourselves, holding other people accountable at a level that we don't even hold ourselves accountable to. And at the end of the day, what has to happen is we actually need to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. Whatever you say, that I will do. We come to Him. We go to Him for forgiveness. We go to Him and let Him work in our lives. We go to Him and whatever He's speaking, we, we, we follow all of that. Make no mistake, book of Numbers, third chapter 32 says this. He says, be careful. It says, your sin will find you out. Folk, our, all of our sins eventually come out. They happen. They work their way to the surface in our life. They're, we think they're hidden, but they're not. Honestly, other people see them more than we think they do. Because remember, they're looking at us far more. They see us more than we see ourselves. We think we're hidden and we're not. But eventually, all of that comes out. And when it does, deal with the shame, deal with the, the guilt, and go to Jesus. In many ways, those Pharisees did this woman a favor. Because if you're going to get outed with your sin, Jesus is the best place to go. Because He's the one that wants to forgive. He's the only one that can truly forgive. And He wants to restore. He wants to give grace. He wants to forgive and make you whole again. Um, That means for us, if we've been wrong to people in our life, as difficult as it is and as prideful, as focused, and we're, we're all, our emotions are all over the place. But we go to that person and we say, forgive me, I've, I've done wrong. And we own it. We, we don't try to cover, but we fully admit it, not just to God, but we admit it to the other person, to everybody, whomever that might be. That also means, by the way, contrary to popular opinion today, we are each responsible for each other. You see, when God saves us as, as His children, we're a part of a body of Christ that spans not just internationally right now. It's why we can care especially about our brothers and sisters who are followers of Jesus in the Ukraine. But we are part of the body of Christ of all believers that have ever lived. But what God makes with the local church is He makes all of these 
things in Scripture are reality here together. We are to love one another, not just have this generic, abstract love for people around the world, but to love one another. In other words, we really are accountable to each other in community for how we live our lives. The Bible over and over says that. We don't just, you know, our job as Christian isn't just to, uh, not only do we not, you know, you know, dial in, hmm, I think I saw a little sin in your life today, you know, but neither do we just walk around ignoring all of that. We're to love each other enough, and there's a level of accountability that we don't have time to dial into what does that look like, but we're all truly accountable to one another. And to be like Jesus, to do it in love and grace when it's, it's appropriate and needed and all of that, and again, the Bible has lots of other passages of what that looks like and how to do that. I, want to do, I don't want to go into that. But Jesus doesn't call the Pharisees out and just like, oh, you shouldn't be holding this woman accountable. You, this should not be. What are you doing? He recognized that there is a level of accountability as people that we have toward each other. And as we live that, we also need to recognize in our life that not only do we need to recognize that we have other sinners around us, but we're also the sinner, and others can be like the Pharisees accusing us. And you and I are always going to face accusers in our life. And when you are accused of your sin, you, ex you accept that reality without excuse, without minimizing it, but then you go to Jesus and let Jesus talk to you about what needs to happen and let Him tell you what He wants to do. And what Jesus told her, He didn't give her a religious ceremony, give her a special prayer to deal with because the only way she's going to be forgiven her sin is what He has to do. Only Jesus can do the heavy lifting in our life. But when others are speaking that into your life, you need to listen and you need to hear what they're saying. And then you need to say, Lord Jesus, I want to take this opportunity and I want to own whatever before you that I need to. Even if the accuser means it for their good and not ours. Even if it's about them and their mind and you smell that. What happens when you and I get in those relational funks with people and that stuff, we see the bad motives. And then we dismiss just everything they say because of their bad motive. Well, Jesus didn't, he didn't care about the motive. He dealt with the sin. And we need to recognize that there's some things in there we probably need to hear. Even if their motivation was not right. Even if their heart wasn't right. And we should expect and not be surprised where there's accusers in our life. But when that happens, go to Jesus. And what he tells you, is what you need to do. What He, go to Him for that forgiveness and let Him bear that in your life. And then at the end of the day, let what Jesus says to you about your sins stick more than what the other person says. Let Him be the one that speaks over your life. Let Him be the one that washes over your soul. Let, let that be the one because his motive is always pure and his motive is always for your good and always for your benefit. Never a self thing in there. If there was, he wouldn't have submitted to the cross. He would have never have done that. But 
walk, hear that. But at the end of the day, let God speak into your soul through His Word and through His Spirit. And let what He speaks over and into your life be what, if you will, defines you. And be what speaks into what you need to change, what you need to deal with, and how you need to grow. So folks, it's we talk often about you know dealing with our own sin and that kind of thing. But what this passage is especially about, it's, it's not just our own sin, but it's how we deal with other people's sins, what not to do, how to be like Jesus and following what He did do, but also helping figure out how to deal with when other people are coming at us with our sins because we're sinners, folks. You're going to have a boss at work that calls you out because you didn't do really what you should have been doing. Sometimes it's because they're not nice. Sometimes it's because they're under pressure. And sometimes you didn't quite live up to what you wanted to do. We're not perfect. But you accept that and then you go to Jesus with it. Get forgiveness from Him. And let Him and what He says about your life and His love for you and forgiveness and love and wholeness, you let that be the focus of your life going forward. That's what God is calling us this morning to be. To be sinners who are forgiven live in a world with other sinners trying to make our way through this crazy mess. That's what our Christian life is to be like. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for the incredible story. Lord, I can only imagine what this woman felt. Oh, the indignity, the shame. Lord, I can imagine she dealt with anger issues and just, oh Lord, I would never want that to happen to me. And nor do I want anybody else to go through that. But Father, somehow you, the Lord Jesus, just navigated all of that to help us. We don't, our job isn't to ignore and act like things didn't happen and act, or to act like things don't matter. They do. But Lord, somehow you're the God who points out every sin and the full weight of it. And we see that on the cross. Forgive us when we minimize that and forget the seriousness of it. And Lord, we recognize though that Jesus is alive and our sins didn't just put Him on the cross. He became victorious over them. And we can be forgiven and live that new life. Help us to live in that world and for that to be our day-to-day -day joy and love and live out of that overflow. But help us not to forget the cross, that we're still sinners. And we need to give grace and forgiveness to others. They deserve it. And we need to receive it from you because we're sinners and we need it today. So Father, we both stand as the sinner as well as the accuser as we go through this life. Help us, Lord, to navigate that. I don't know how you've spoken to each heart and soul this morning, but Lord, whatever you've whispered into the heart, whatever is coming to mind, I pray you'd help each individual to take action on that, Father, to receive your grace, to ask forgiveness, to work forward in those relationships, whatever, Father, is appropriate. We commit ourselves to you knowing we need your hope and we need your focus in our life. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.